You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The BC government is turning up the heat on organized crime, targeting money launderers and the millions they move through our province. The proposed changes would require people suspected of illegal activity to explain how they got the money to buy their expensive cars, homes and luxury goods. But as Rumina Dea reports, critics warn these new powers go too far. The B.C. government recently got the green light to seize three Hells Angels clubhouses, assessed at just over $3 million, after it won an epic civil forfeiture case against the motorcycle gang. Introduction of bills. The province's top cop, Mike Farnworth, now bolstering the Civil Forfeiture Act to make it easier to crack down on assets obtained through organized crime. Today's amendments will make it more difficult for criminals to bank on their illicit assets. An unexplained wealth order puts the onus on people suspected of unlawful activity to explain how they acquired the property or assets. The amendments born out of recommendations from the Cullen Commission of Inquiry into Money Laundering. Cash, exotic cars, fancy homes, the property of criminals and their loved ones on the government's radar. Hiding assets through family is a common money laundering technique, says Farnworth. Just because the mob boss's spouse is not involved in illegal activity doesn't mean they get to keep the house. In, in my view, it will result in an even more draconian process. Lawyer Bibas Vaze, who specializes in civil forfeiture, says the act is already sweeping the new changes dangerous. We should not prejudge individuals. And we should not suggest that because of our prejudgment of individuals, it's okay to put them through a very complicated, expensive legal process of which they may be completely innocent. Farnworth ensuring the new unexpected wealth orders will have guardrails to ensure a fair process. The changes expected to take effect in 2025. Ramina Dea, Global News. Vancouver police have released some new video and images of the suspect in an arson at the Chinese Cultural Center. The fire was deliberately set on Sunday. The video shows a woman starting the fire in the lane at the rear of the building just before 5 p.m. If you can identify this suspect, you're asked to call Vancouver police right away. The center suffered significant smoke and water damage in the fire. This fire caused uh, a lot of damage, a lot of uh, smoke damage, a lot of water damage to that building. And of course, uh, what's probably worse is how upsetting it is for that community. Uh, thankfully, uh, nobody was injured. Police say at this point, there's no evidence linking this suspect to any of the other recent fires in the downtown east side and Chinatown areas. Well, wildfire season is kicking off early with crews already battling nearly a dozen fires. There are currently 11 active fires burning in the Kamloops Fire Center. The latest, the 25-hectare Napier Lake Fire located near Stump Lake south of Kamloops. A wildfire service crew of seven is now at the scene working to contain the flames. Just reminding people if there are any open burning activities that they are partaking in right now, um, just to make sure that they're being really cautious with those activities. We are seeing quite a few human-caused wildfires. We are definitely seeing some dry conditions in the Kamloops Fire Center. A lot of that has carried over from the drought conditions that we saw late in the fall. Um, so that has carried on through right now till March. Um, 
A solution to one of the worst traffic bottlenecks in Metro Vancouver appears to be in jeopardy. The train crossing on Harris Road in Pitt Meadows was supposed to get an underpass. But as Julie Nolan shows us, the project has been blown up by inflation and other problems. Harris Road in Pitt Meadows is in the top 3% of riskiest rail crossings in the country, and it's also the second busiest in the Lower Mainland. So when an underpass was in the works and the cost then tripled, city officials were understandably upset. This is very new uh, information and very um, shocking and disappointing to many in our community. An underpass would alleviate congestion and the initial cost proposed by the Vancouver Fraser Port Authority was about $63 million. That skyrocketed to $195 million due to the rising cost of materials, the complexity of the project and seismic considerations. But time is not on anyone's side. Uh, every month of delay uh, in making decisions and moving the project forward, given that high rate of construction cost inflation will add approximately $1 million to the cost estimate and the funding gap. So now the Vancouver Fraser Port Authority has asked the city to come up with a portion of the shortfall, which would result in a 30-year-long tax hike for this small city of 20,000. Very surprised by the significant cost escalations. We are focused on uh, finding solutions as we know this is critical infrastructure being asked for $50 million. It's not sitting well with many of our residents. These rail improvements would be a few blocks away from Lougheed Highway. Many residents say they're keen to see a solution to the congestion, which will only get worse in the coming years as more people move out here. Some people probably won't appreciate my language, but <laughs> it's not good. My daycare closes at a certain time. So if I'm running behind and then this makes me run even more behind, then I incur fees. When traffic stops, it stops for over three and a half hours a day today, and with trade growth in the next decade, it'll probably double to around seven and a half hours a day. The city is now looking to the feds for funding. A referendum could determine if residents would pay higher taxes to improve the flow of traffic and trains. Julie Nolan, Global News. Well, this afternoon, Vancouver City Council voted on a controversial change to the Broadway redevelopment plan. And some cyclists will be disappointed. Bike lanes will not be included. Imad Agahi is live with more on the vision and why it's changing. Imad? Well, so, Sophie, as the work continued on the $2.8 billion Broadway subway project, it had become time to make a, a final decision on what the roadway above the transit line would look like. Would the new Broadway arterial have bike lanes on either side of the street? Well, uh, today City Council had decided that it will not. The motion carries with Councillor Carr in opposition, Councillor Boyle in opposition, Councillor Fry in opposition, Councillor Kirby Young. After two days of discussions and 40 speakers, the ABC Vancouver majority and city council defeated the Green and won city councillors in a 6-3 vote to forego a protected bike lane for the new Broadway. Uh, without a bike lane, Broadway would feature uh, more room for buses and emergency vehicles and wider sidewalks for pedestrians. Now, those against the bike lanes argued that there are existing local street bikeways on 10th and 7th avenues running parallel to Broadway, and those would suffice. But some cyclists had said that because those existing bikeways are only protected in some areas, they can be unsafe, especially for beginners. Now, it's worth mentioning that city staff, the engineers here, did recommend against a Broadway bike lane as well.
Vancouver has been a global leader in active transportation and uh, when our staff come to us and say that now's not the time to put the bike lanes in right now, I think what we, and, and their recommendation was, let's work on widening the sidewalks, let's figure out what the street wants to be and then we can look over the long term of what we're going to do. There's a whole transportation engineering concept called induced demand and it basically says if you build it, they'll come. So if we build road capacity for much more cars, then it will fill up with much more cars. If we build capacity for active transportation, it will fill with active transportation. So if we have too much road space allocated, it will only serve to, to create more traffic. Now this news is disappointing the cyclists and cycling advocates, but all hope is not lost. As part of the decision today, the city may return to the discussion after the Broadway subway line is complete and it has a better idea of the traffic flow through that corridor. So. All right, we'll see what happens then. Amadagahi reporting at City Hall. A reminder today from Search and Rescue, the weather might be nice in the city, but there are still wintry conditions in the backcountry. Central Okanagan Search and Rescue was called out last night to assist three hikers who ran into trouble on a trail near Oyama Lake. The trio and their dogs were in waist-deep snow when one of the hikers suffered a medical incident and was not able to continue. She was eventually choppered out. And a COSAR member remained with the rest of the group starting a fire to keep them warm until a snowmobile team arrived to complete the rescue. Well, anyone who's been in B.C.'s backcountry knows what an important role search and rescue crews play in keeping people safe. Between 1995 and 2020, the North Shore Search and Rescue Team was called into action 2,100 times. Now they've looked at every one of those calls and as Travis Prasad reports, they're getting new insight into the reasons they were needed. When North Shore Rescue gets a call, the stakes are high. Two, one, and hold your position. Whether it's from the air or treacherous treks through the backcountry, volunteers risk their own safety to help people no matter their degree of injury. The smallest twisted angle, that would be considered a medical call because that's the reason we're going in for that person. Dr. Alec Ritchie and the NSR medical team crunched the numbers, analyzing every North Shore rescue call between 1995 and 2020. They found roughly 870 calls were medical, mostly for traumatic injuries, but 41% of them were considered non-traumatic. These are medical problems that aren't caused by an injury. For instance, you have chest pain if you're having a heart attack. 25% of non-traumatic calls were mental health crises. Another 25% were exposure-related, like hypothermia or heat exhaustion, and 11% were cardiovascular incidents. 8% of the non-traumatic calls were people with dementia who wandered into the woods. North Shore Rescue will, will often search the places that other people don't go, and the police officers perhaps don't go into the ravines, into the parks, into the ditches, and that sort of thing. And we've made some miraculous recoveries from that. The findings were published in the Wilderness and Environmental Medicine Academic Journal. Ritchie says the stats provide concrete evidence for the types of training and equipment crews need to be effective. When we're negotiating with government about funds or about activities that we want to do, we can say, well, here's the need, Here, here's the data. Last year, North Shore Rescue was granted government approval to conduct helicopter rescues at night. Equipped with night vision goggles, teams no longer need to wait for help from the military. And of course, in medicine, time is, is very, very important. According to the study, the top three activities leading to medical emergencies on the North Shore are hiking, biking and snow sports. Richie says it's best not to let the beauty of the mountains distract you from the dangers. 
you have to appreciate those risks, understand them, and take steps to mitigate those risks. Travis Prasad, Global News. A damning assessment of how Mounties responded to that mass shooting in Nova Scotia. What's in the final report and reaction to it coming up next on the News Hour. Dinosaurs had lips? New evidence tells us something we never knew about these prehistoric creatures. That's to come. I hope it inspires other people to be brave. A woman rewarded for a dramatic rescue in the water off West Vancouver. Also coming up a little later. Right now, though, the final report into the mass shooting in Nova Scotia has been released. A gunman went on a rampage, killing 22 people over several hours in April of 2020. The three-member commission found RCMP failed to notice years of warning signs about the killer and responded poorly during the attacks. It called out the force for a failure to publicly share accurate and timely information about what was happening. Commissioners believe the many failings of Mounties should lead to an overhaul of the National Police Force. Among our recommendations, we are calling for major changes to RCMP oversight, processes and culture. Also among the report's 130 recommendations is a call for a ban on all semi-automatic handguns, rifles and shotguns with magazines that hold more than five rounds. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on the impact this report could have on the Surrey Police Service decision. Keith, this is just the latest in a series of setbacks for the RCMP. Yeah, timing couldn't be worse for those who really back the RCMP remaining in Surrey. Devastating critique of their practices in Nova Scotia. Keep in mind, everyone in the RCMP is trained in the same uh, uh, centre in Regina, including those people trained in Surrey. I put the questions of uh, Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth, who's still weighing the decision here about what impact this inquiry findings are going to have on his decision, ultimately whether to keep the RCMP in Surrey or whether to go with the new Surrey Police Services. His answers have to be troubling for those who advocate remaining with the RCMP. Here's the minister. I think we're getting very close to that. Um, it, will be, uh, it will be soon. Um, and, uh, but I, I do know that this report will certainly, um, it will impact um, uh, policing, um, I think not just in Surrey, but communities right across this province. Uh, and indeed, when you read the recommendations, what I've been told, policing right across the country. So again, the feedback I'm getting from people in government, and again, a lot of this is sort of tea leave reading, but the, the interpretation of Mike Farnworth's comments are when he says this report is going to have an impact on the ultimate decision that's going to be made in Surrey, it really doesn't favor keeping the RCMP in Surrey, given that this is such a negative report about that very police force. Again, we don't have a timing, uh, a specific time when that report or when that decision is going to be made. We expect it to be made within a couple of weeks because it does have budget implications for Surrey, which is trying to put the final touches on its municipal budget. So April is decision uh, month, I think, for Mike Farnworth and his, this report. As I say, not good news for those who advocate keeping the RCMP. So much going into that decision coming up. All right, thanks very much, Keith. The Vatican is rejecting the so-called doctrine of discovery, the 15th century decree used to justify colonialism. The move comes after a delegation traveled to Rome last year and the Pope's trip to Canada last summer. And while indigenous groups in B.C. welcome the step, they say there's more to be done. Sarah McDonald reports. 
Exactly one year since an historic Indigenous delegation from Canada was on the ground in Vatican City, seeking an apology from the Pope for the complicity of the Catholic Church in centuries of colonial policies. On Thursday, a surprise announcement. I was just in Rome last year. It's exactly a year since I was there. So I actually can't believe this is really happening. The Vatican formally repudiating the long-disputed doctrine of discovery, decrees or papal bulls dating back to the 15th century that legitimized the seizure of First Nations territories under colonialism. Our delegation calls upon the Roman Catholic Church. Something Cook P. Roseanne Casimir pushed for in person during the delegate's visit. This, she says, is a step in the right direction, though long overdue. When the Pope came to Canada, there was no mention of the Doctrine of Discovery. So knowing that now, finally, after all this time, almost a year later, he's now speaking of that um, renouncement is something that is another step but it's also looking at what's next. That includes looking to the federal government to follow suit in formally rejecting the doctrine. I just think it'll be very interesting to see how the federal government is going to react and act. And, you know, what their role will also be to denounce the doctrine. Some say the wording of the Vatican statement doesn't go far enough, distancing itself and the Catholic Church from the documentation and stopping short of fully rescinding all of it. It's a step. It's a small step, but there's still racist policies in place that are killing us. Lorelai Williams, also among those who travel to Vatican City, says the repudiation gives her reason for optimism. I hope this creates changes, um, drastic changes, but I feel like it's going to be slow. On the arduous path forward in the journey of reconciliation, Sarah McDonald, Global News. Coming up, one whale of a homecoming. How Lolita, the Miami Orca, is finally being sent back to the West Coast 50 years after she was taken away. Also tonight, what the investigation reveals about a float plane collision in Tofino. An ongoing crash investigation in Surrey still has northbound traffic blocked on King George Boulevard at 104th Avenue. Select Sussex Insurance and make a difference when you renew your auto plan online. Select your neighborhood Sussex Insurance when prompted and a donation will be made to Diabetes Canada. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One. Hive of a crash investigation in Surrey. After five decades in captivity in a Florida aquarium, a famous orca could be coming home to the waters of the Pacific Northwest. Animal activists are thrilled by the decision, but one BC expert says we shouldn't start celebrating quite yet. Paul Johnson reports. Performing tricks for food under the stage name Lolita is what Tokitai has spent much of her life doing. The tiny enclosure in subtropical Miami is a long way from her home in the cold waters of the Salish Sea. But the southern resident orca may yet see her home and maybe some relatives. I'm very happy to be here for this historic announcement to begin the process to return Toki to her home waters. That was the mayor of Miami Thursday announcing the deal is done. The hope is that within two years, Tokitai can be returned to an as yet unidentified open water facility, likely somewhere in Puget Sound. I was, was pretty excited to hear about this. I mean, it's a it's a, a big step. UBC's Josh McKinnis has been doing research on orcas for 15 years. 
He says Toki's return has the potential to be historic, but there are many unknowns. No matter how long you've studied a population, um, we really don't really have the sample size of how many killer whales have ever been put back in the ocean um, that have been in captivity for 50 years, zero. For many, the story that comes to mind is that of Keiko, the Icelandic orca made famous by the movie Free Willy. While Keiko finally did make it back to his home waters, he never really learned to hunt on his own and critically never reconnected with his extended family, which will also be the most intriguing possibility if Tokitai makes her trip home safely. There is likely a chance that some of her relatives are still around. While seeing her swimming with her family again would be the most hoped for outcome. Just living out her days in a more natural setting would be the likeliest. And still a milestone as the first of the captured southern residents to actually come home. Paul Johnson, Global News. The Transportation Safety Board says the pilots of a float plane and water taxi probably didn't see each other until it was too late to avoid a collision. Six people were rescued when the plane sank in October 2021 in Tofino Harbor. The Tofino Air Flight had just touched down and was on its way to the dock. At the same time, a water taxi was approaching from the left, each in the other's blind spot. The TSB report says neither detected the other until it was too late. There are traffic separation schemes in place, whether it is a pilot-operated light in effect or visually marked on the chart or, or with buoys on the water. It's shocking to me that Tofino doesn't have it, considering the amount of traffic they have. And I think it would be a dereliction of duty if the Tofino Harbour Authority doesn't act on this report. The TSB says the lack of speed limits in Tofino Harbour and the fact boats and planes use different radio frequencies also contributed to the crash. Tofino Air has since improved pilot training to watch for hazards. Coming up, Donald Trump makes history for all the wrong reasons. What today's indictment means for the former U.S. president and what we know about the charges he'll be facing. Plus... Can you guys here to the one side of this for me? Ukrainian artists creating a new life in Canada. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you by JM Media. Visit jmmedia.ca. Traffic is moving pretty well in both directions at the Alex Fraser Bridge tonight with just some slow truck traffic southbound at the Nordell exit. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Breaking news from a Manhattan courthouse tonight where a grand jury has voted to indict former U.S. President Donald Trump. The charges are linked to a payment of hush money to adult film star Stormy Daniels, and Trump will have to appear before a judge. Global's Reggie Cicchini has us or joins us with the latest from Washington. This is now the center of the U.S. political universe, a courthouse in Lower Manhattan where history has been made. The writing was clearly on the wall. Behind closed doors Thursday, a grand jury voted to indict former U.S. President Donald Trump after months spent investigating his involvement in a series of hush money payments to an adult film star. This is such a fascinating case for many reasons, the most important of which is this is a law and politics intersect, and normally they don't. The Manhattan District Attorney brought this case forward using Michael Cohen, Trump's former lawyer and fixer, as the star witness. 
I am ashamed that I chose to take part in concealing Mr. Trump's illicit acts rather than listening to my own conscience. It was Cohen's testimony to Congress in 2019, throwing his former boss under the bus, that resulted in Cohen himself being charged and jailed with facilitating the payments, a campaign finance violation. What would be his interest in lying at this point? Trump has already announced his 2024 presidential bid and is using his own arrest as a talking point. In a statement calling this indictment a political persecution and election interference. His allies on Capitol Hill have latched onto those statements, vowing to investigate the investigators, in this case, the Manhattan District Attorney. I fully believe that many of, the of his supporters will believe that this whole process was illegitimate. Trump's hostility towards prosecutors keeps safety a concern. He posted to his social media account that death and destruction would follow an indictment, leaving police in New York and beyond on high alert for what might happen. With the indictment still under seal, we don't know what the charges are. What we do know is that an arraignment will likely happen sometime next week, where Trump will be fingerprinted and have a mugshot taken. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. Ukrainian refugees fleeing the war in their country arrived in Vancouver to a gift from the arts community. Van Arts offered scholarships to 17 of them. And now they're graduating into film and digital media jobs. And as Jada Rant tells us on This Is BC, their future looks promising. Can you get your hair to the one side, please, for me? More than a year later and the scars are still fresh. I will never forget. It's stuck super deep inside of me. Russia's invasion of Ukraine left these students and their families fleeing their home country and facing an uncertain future. No school, no friends, no uh, job for parents. But word got around Europe about an online post from a media arts school in Vancouver that was accepting scholarship applications from Ukrainian refugees. I got all my portfolio, like, best pictures together. I was waiting and waiting and waiting, and when I got the letter of exception, I was like... Oh my gosh, is it, is it real? Van Arts offered over a million dollars in total to cover tuition, and it's given 17 graduating students a very bright future. The industry here, the whole film and, and digital media industry is booming. It's one of the largest in the world. And new friendships, like these aspiring photographers from the same Ukrainian city who had never met until moving here. I was like, I already have this contact. I'm churning, and it's her. <laughs> Many have family members still in danger. Mara's father is living alone in eastern Ukraine, but her success has given him hope. He's so positive. He's just like, oh, it's so nice. You're there. Oh, my gosh, I'm so happy for you. Oh, I like, I like your stories. Can you post it? Can you keep getting photos? Breaking news. The food bank on Main Street was robbed. Several have already found jobs thanks to their training and demo reels, launching a new career in less than a year. Christina Sinisa. For now, they're still separated from family members who are just thrilled to see them starting a new life in Canada. They can be sure that I'm safe, that I have a future here, a very promising future since I'm in Vancouver. That's the best thing that I could do to make them feel happy and proud of me. Jay Durant, Global News. Congratulations to all of them. If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. The transgender flag has been raised over the BC legislature. The flag raising and acknowledgement of International Transgender Day of Visibility. 
The Day of Visibility is dedicated to celebrating transgender, non-binary and two-spirit people and raising awareness of discrimination those individuals face both here in BC and all around the world. And Transgender Day of Visibility is a time for hope. It's a time to look to the future, to recognize resilience, to recognize strength, to recognize success, and to understand that trans people can and do thrive. The flag was first raised at the legislature in November 2021 to mark the Transgender Day of Remembrance. Just ahead, a startling discovery about dinosaurs. Our fruits of our labors are finally coming out, and so it's really exciting. Why BC researchers believe some of the most fierce prehistoric creatures actually had lips. Plus. And it's really made me reflect on my actions and um, the situation I put myself in. The West Vancouver woman who saved a young boy's life and how she's being recognized for it. From the stories that touch us all to the events happening all around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. From the stories that touch us all to the events happening all around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. So I have some family visiting from out of town ah. on the East Coast, and they chose the right week to come, Christy. <laughs> it has been beautiful. Very nice. Yes, yeah, so lucky. Oh my gosh, and they're going back tomorrow right when it starts to rain? Um, tomorrow and Saturday. Mm -hmm. So okay. they'll get to experience, you know, what Vancouver's really like in the spring at least. <laughs> Exactly. It could be pretty much anything. But yeah, that's so yeah. amazing. You know, here we are, uh, the second to last day, or tomorrow's the last day of March. So we thought we'd tally the numbers just to give you a perspective of how dry it has been. And certainly this stretch of beautiful weather has contributed to this. So 34 millimeters of rain in Metro Vancouver average for March is 114. And you can see how dry it is in other parts of the province as well. Now we are expecting rainfall tomorrow, but not enough to really make a difference. So here's a look. We're talking about 20 20 millimeters potentially in Metro Vancouver and nothing in many parts of the interior, nothing substantial, although you'll see a few showers. So uh, yes, it's going to end up being a very dry March, that's for sure. And we've had a number of dry uh, months in the last little while. Certainly we know well that our summer and sort of beginning of fall was very dry. Here's a look. So we're expecting that rainfall for those of you all across the coast. We'll see it throughout the day tomorrow. Showers for inland regions. And I really want you to know that we are expecting snow on the mountain pass. So it's going to be cold enough that we'll see snowfall. A range in millimeters, though, for Metro Vancouver, likely less through the Fraser Valley. But look, some areas along the North Shore Mountains could see up to 40 millimeters of rain throughout the day tomorrow. So, yes, yeah, certainly a wet Friday in the northern regions. Flurries changing to showers, but most southern regions just showers. And again, very light amounts for those of you in the southern interior. But snowfall expected for the mountain passes and certainly rainfall for Metro Vancouver. We could see some snow on the local mountains, which would be great. It's been a great season or end of the season for those areas into the weekend we still have a chance of showers we're going to see some breaks of blue sky certainly in the mix but it stays cool this weekend tonight central windows with a window continues with the theme we've been asking people to send photos into this is the jane linnings um janine linnings pardon me a photo from port alberni where the hummingbirds are currently making their nests yes another sign of the spring so thanks to mm -hmm. janine for that
some building materials in, mm. in the beak there. Awesome. All right, thanks very much, Christy. A West Vancouver woman is being recognized for her bravery with a very rare honor. She's one of just 15 people in North America to receive the Carnegie Medal this year for her actions last September when she jumped into action to save a teenage boy's life. Catherine Urquhart reports. In the frigid waters off West Vancouver, 34-year-old Emmeline Golden takes an afternoon swim something she does regularly and enjoys. But six months ago, she ventured into the waters under very different circumstances. It's so clear in my mind. I feel like any, any traumatic experience that you have in your life is something that is kind of imprinted on you. So everything is very, very clear for me. In September, Emmeline jumped into action at Dunderave Beach, stripping down to her underwear and leaving her young children on shore with onlookers. About 100 metres offshore, a nonverbal 15-year-old boy on the autism spectrum was drowning. He started, you know, kicking me and pushing me away, and he was really afraid, so I had to regroup, move away, and just talk to him. I just said, hey, Sean, your mom's on the beach. She's got popsicles. They're yellow. Like, come on. And then as soon as he smiled at me, um, I knew that I had gained his trust. The mother of two kept Sean's head above the waves, helping him swim ashore. A rescue boat plucked them to safety. Absolutely put her life on the line for this young person who she had never met before. Um, she's nothing short of a hero and uh, deserves all the recognition in the world because she absolutely saved this person's life. Now Emmeline's heroics are being honoured with a prestigious Carnegie Hero Award, established in Pittsburgh in 1904 to acknowledge those who take extraordinary risk to save someone. She's one of about two dozen recipients chosen from more than 700 submissions. Well, from my story to be picked up and um, chosen as a recipient is pretty... Um, I'm pretty honoured with that. The medal will be presented to the West Vancouver hero in the coming months. Her bravery being recognised internationally and rightly so. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Good for her. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Well, I was hoping for uh, beer and hot dogs at the Global Cafeteria today. And although the meal was great, it wasn't what you get at the baseball park. I don't think it has a licence. I don't think the beer is going to happen. Uh -oh. <laughs> There's that. we gotta, we got to work on that. Also Perhaps near happy. beer, but <laughs> not <is>. actual beer. <laughs> uh, it's BYOB around here. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the Western Hockey League playoff matchups that's starting tomorrow night is a mismatch on paper. Kamloops against the underdog Vancouver Giants. we got to go in there with the mindset that there's no pressure on us, you know. Well, the Giants can have that attitude because they were 29 points behind Kamloops in the regular season. Also coming up tonight, kiss and tell. What BC researchers have learned about dinosaurs that might change the way we see them. Now. Barry's got breaking news. <laughs> Barry's what? She's running into the studio at the tech. moment. Barry Delay delivering the sports yeah. hot yeah. off the press. Barry, he's like the guy from Amazon. <laughs> uh, anyway, You're a Prime member. We had a, that's the script. We were running. We ran out of paper upstairs. We had. Oh, oh we have some printer. down here. Okay, here we go. You could go now. 
Thank you very much. To Barry, that is. Uh, Maple Ridge's Tyler O'Neill knows how to make an entrance, kind of like what Barry just did. He uh, tied a major league record today by hitting a home run in his fourth straight opening day game. And this record is jointly held by four players. The other three are catchers and two are Hall of Famers, Yogi Berra and Gary Carter, as well as Todd Hundley. And O'Neill's record-tying game was perfect for Canada. A BC boy puts his name in the baseball record book and the Blue Jays still win. Vladimir Guerrero introduced. Jays had a big day from George Springer. Five hits. He uh, will score here. Dalton Varsho, one of the new Jays. First game, first at bat, hits a double. Springer scores. Now, Toronto would win this game 10-9. But I do want to show you Tyler O'Neill because this is the home run that tied that record, which is a record that takes a while to set since it's only for opening days. So that's four straight years and four straight home runs on opening days for Tyler O'Neill. But the Blue Jays still win it by the score of 10-9. All right, the Bronx, Yankee Stadium. Is that 161st and River Avenue, Mr. Former New York? The new one is okay. blocks away from the old one, and it's new to me. Aaron Judge hit a home run today. Perfect way for the Yankees. Look at that swing. There you go. Slow-mo, and the Yankees win it by the score of 5 nothing on opening day. So the Western Hockey League playoffs will start tomorrow. Actually, the BC Hockey League playoffs start tomorrow as well. In the Western Hockey League, Cologne is going to face Seattle. Seattle is a heavy favorite in that one. Prince George against Tri-City. I think PG should have the edge there. And the Vancouver Giants are taking on the real Giants of BC. The Kamloops Blazers, led by the man next to me, Logan Stan Coven, and a whole host of star players. Walks in, Hopper shoots, stop, rebound behind the goal! Mike save rebound, another stop, it's still loose, here's a shot, Barrows hit the goal post! Based on where they finished in the standings, this is what you would expect. The Blazers absolutely dominating the Vancouver Giants. Kamloops finished 29 points ahead of the Giants during the regular season and scored 125 more goals. This is a mismatch of epic proportions, which the Giants are fine with. We got to go in there with the mindset that there's no pressure on us, you know, and we just got to play our game and we can kind of play free that way. And we want to play, you know, playoff style series. We want to be physical. We want to play fast, play hard. Last year, the Giants were also huge underdogs in the first round when they matched up against the top-seeded Everett Silvertips. But thanks to some incredible goaltending from Jesper Weichmann and a belief that started to build with each upset win, the Giants sent the first-place Silvertips packing in six games. So they'll take that same mindset into this series. I think just the main thing is that you can win uh, no matter what. I think you just have to play the way you can play, and you always have a chance. So I think that's... Uh, main thing you learn. I think it just gives us a lot of confidence going into this series this year. The Blazers, meanwhile, are hosting the Memorial Cup this May, so they loaded up at the trade deadline, acquiring players like Olin Zellweger from Everett. Zellweger was part of the Canadian Junior Gold Medal team this past January, along with Logan Stankoven and Caden Bankier. It's a stacked lineup, but experienced enough not to disrespect any opponent. We can't take them lightly just because they're the seventh seed. Um, you know, they've got some key players back like Hanzik and and uh, Vikman's always dangerous between the pipes. He can steal games, so we're going to have to get under those guys and make sure we make it hard on those guys. The Blazers are built to win now. The Giants are building for the future, and there's nothing quite like playoffs to find out what kind of players you have on the roster. They're 
true character comes out in the playoffs. Uh, how we're going to handle, you know, moments where maybe it's not going well for us. Are we going to stick to it or are we going to veer away from it? So you find a lot out about your group. The new head of the NHL Players Association is Marty Walsh, formerly the mayor of Boston, formerly the U.S. Secretary of Labor. Now he runs a bunch of hockey players. And the things he talked about today, among the things he talked about today, was the players wanting a World Cup of Hockey. They also want to get back in the Olympics. But a World Cup of Hockey in 2025 is the goal because the last one they had was way back in 2016. You know, we've had a couple conversations over the last couple of weeks about the World Cup of Hockey. We've talked a little bit about uh, the Olympics as well, coming up in 2026. And I think at first, you know, what I like to do is let's let's establish the program, let's establish the World Cup of Hockey back, and let's have a forward-looking uh, schedule to see so people can be consistent with it. Fans love it, players love it. It's important for us to do it. Yeah, a lot of the young stars in the NHL really want to wear their country's jerseys. One of them is Connor McDavid. He really wants something like this. All right, thanks, Squire. I just want to listen to that New England accent. Up next, prehistoric pucker up, the surprising new discovery about dinosaurs. All right, Jordan Armstrong here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie, as we've been hearing, wildfire season is off to a bit of an early start. We just got this video in from the Agassiz area, the aftermath of a brush fire this afternoon. No property damage, no official word on the cause. There have also been fires near Kamloops in the last 48 hours. Now, given it's been a drier than average March, you may be wondering about the status of our local water reservoirs and snowpack. We'll have some answers at 11. Sophie? All right, sounds good. Thanks, Jordan. Well, as we all know, fossils aren't exactly Polaroids, so there are no actual pictures of dinosaurs, and a lot of guesswork has gone into determining what they looked like. As a result, what you see in Hollywood movies and elsewhere might not be all that accurate. But after nine years of research, BC paleontologists are hoping to change that. Here's Kylie Stanton. Between its sheer size, the ferocious roar, and its gigantic teeth. Tyrannosaurus rex has never been able to escape its reputation as a fierce carnivore. But of course, that's all we've ever really known. This is a cast of a T-Rex tooth. They're really big. And now new research suggests that depiction may not be entirely accurate. We think that dinosaurs, particularly predatory dinosaurs like Tyrannosaurus rex, probably had lips. A new paper co-authored by Derek Larson outlines the now peer-reviewed evidence, suggesting dinosaurs may not have had exposed teeth when their mouths were closed. Instead, they were covered with flesh, much like modern-day lizards. And so that's the old model, and then the new model actually has this extra lip on the outside so that when the mouth is closed, basically you don't see the teeth anymore. While dinosaurs' closest modern genetic relatives are lipless crocodiles and birds, the paleontologists examined examples of lip and tooth structures of animals like the Komodo dragon. They concluded the lips helped to cover the teeth, creating a wet environment to better preserve them, making them less likely to wear. Larson says the discovery seriously brings into question how certain dinosaurs are being reconstructed. We're trying to recreate the past, understand what things were like millions of years ago, and the more accurate that we can make our interpretations, the better. 
While the finding has huge implications for inferring the behavior, diet, and evolution of these creatures, it also has the potential to change the way the world sees them. And here in Victoria, with two dinosaur exhibits in the works for the museum, that will soon be put to the test. I think that, that the public's perception of the animal might change, uh, but I think that is ultimately you know, a, a more realistic view. I think it's going to be a lot more realistic, and, and ultimately that's what we're trying to do as paleontologists. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. And did you know four species of dinosaurs have been discovered right here in B.C.? Fossilized remains of a Chorisodon have been found on Vancouver Island, and a Lasmosaurus, a smaller cousin of Triceratops, also roamed BC along with Ferrosaurus. And in 2018, a hiker near Tumbler Ridge in northeastern BC came across a strange footprint measuring 50 centimeters. centimeters. Turns out it was part of a track site of about 20 dinosaurs, making Tumbler Ridge the epicenter of dino discoveries in BC. Those footprints go back 100 million years when dinosaurs ruled Canada. It would have been so much easier if they just had taken selfies. Right? It would have been. <laughs> You're right. And had Instagram. Hmm. I don't know if we're yeah. ever I don't know if we're any better nowadays. <laughs> Thanks everybody. Have a good night all.